0: You know, we had some technical difficulties this morning and you ha- were able to miss technical my difficulties. Myself.
1: No, it was me. I'm the technical difficult, difficult.
0: We thought we were having a five minute conversation with you guys and we were just having a conversation with each other, but it's okay because I was dating myself. I was talking about the oh, 90s. Yeah. I don't even know oh, how dang. this started.
1: Oh, dang it. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. You were talking about, oh, we were talking about how like people are going to come back to, oh, because you come back to letter that, you didn't writing say hi because friends. they're gonna get you did it so again sick. you didn't say, didn't say hi friends oh you did didn't oh, I okay. say welcome
0: back friends
1: oh okay so that this one, all started because vicky was like i was like people are gonna write letters and then we were, we were like, talking people about don't write yeah, letters
0: well and maybe kids growing up now will they're tired of writing emails and texts or maybe right. emails and texts are outdated now i don't know right but like It's funny how things cycle back into fashion, and we talked about '90s fashion being right, right popular now. And I said that I was wearing '90s fashion in high school, and you know what? Come to think of it, even though I wasn't in high school in the '90s, I think I was wearing '90s fashion. No, that okay, that is probably what you thought, but what you said was, and I was in high school in the '90s, or, or I was like, wait, what? No, like whatever. I was wearing '90s fashion. I was listening to '90s music. I didn't know what. It was. An and I, you know soul, what? Maybe. I was one of those kids that I didn't care at the yeah. time. Like, I wish I could bring some of that back to my current self of like not caring what people think about not caring about what I wear. But you know, such is life. But it is interesting how things cycle back. And yeah, it'll be like when we were in school, they would say, You need to learn this cursive writing because mm-hmm. you're gonna have to use it in middle school and high school and beyond. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think we ever used cursive in high school. And I the definitely never used it in college. that
1: I knew that used cursive outside of like school was my grandmother. <laughs> like I, you know no. what I'm saying? Like everything was in cursive and maybe my aunt, like, but my dad was but never. Now it's
0: becoming so much more parenting. commonplace, not just to do regular penmanship, but like typing. Has become such a skill oh, right. yeah. because like nobody uses pencil and paper anymore. So maybe it'll be like some ancient artifact that like our kids when they're in high school, they're gonna be like, I'm gonna write a letter. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that, that
1: that's true. You know, I actually, and I think there's been studies about it where it's like pen to paper actually helps with memory. Not all people obviously yeah. you could type stuff, but I find that when I went back to after law school, when I went back to like a paper schedule planner, I feel like I remember things because I took the time to write it down, oh, which is interesting sure. because it do, that doesn't work for a lot of, I was just in an IEP meeting and you know we're talking about different accommodations. And for one of my kiddos, their siblings, one of them has to write everything down. But the other one that accommodation like of having the agenda check and all that, like does not work for him. Somehow he remembers it. And it's just like having that accommodation for him was detrimental because it was making him do something that wasn't like appropriate for him.
0: Yeah, we're all such different learners. There are kids that mm-hmm. are auditory learners where they need to hear things. So even if right. they're reading it on a paper, like they need to hear it also. And so doing yeah. audiobooks while they're reading and yeah. vice versa, some kids need to see it. I remember like I always did that. I was the same. Like if I hand wrote something out, yeah. I was more likely to remember it remember than if I ever yeah. saw it. Yeah. And like I use that tool so much in like law school. I feel I where... feel
1: like, yeah, did we talk about this? Did you have to take a test to see what type of learner you were before you started? at Whittier?
0: I didn't. I, I oh, know okay. your class yeah. did, it. We Our class did it. it. Yeah. And it was,
1: it was fascinating. And I feel like that helped a lot of people like, cause I never I mean, thought
0: about what type of learner I was, you know, about like so many of us learn tools in school or didn't learn tools in school that helps best us learn, you know? So it's interesting. I, I think it's something that like, I think as we push towards how can we best fit like each individual learner within a classroom, like yeah. it shouldn't just be a you have to type this or you have to handwrite this or there should be an option for every kid, not just kid on IPs, but you know, looking at the individual student and looking at how needs cross over mm-hmm. is, you know, I think always important. And we have a very special guest today that kind of fits that mold because she has like so much experience and her expertise is, I think, very unique. So Rose, thank you for being on the podcast today. Well thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat.
1: So today we wanted to focus on the importance of play and leisure skills across a lifespan. So Amanda was just talking about certain skills and things that we learn. But I think before we get into that topic, can you please give a little bit of background? You are very like expert. Your, Your expertise is very niche. So I would love for you to kind of explain that background to our listeners. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. So I'm a speech therapist. I have been for 20 years and I am also a board certified behavior analyst. I've been doing that for 10 years. So mm-hmm. there are less than 500 people worldwide that are duly certified. Incredible. And wow. Thank you. I, you know, I've always been passionate about helping autistic learners. And so You know, over the course of my career, you know, I started my own business about five years ago called ABA Speech, and it's Mm -hmm. really just blossomed. And it started with an idea for a product called the Action Builder Cards, which Mm -hmm. I send out to people weekly. And now we have courses that people can take for ASHA CEUs, ACE courses, which are for BCBAs. And I have a podcast, a weekly podcast called Autism Outreach, where we talk about communication and autism and all those great things. And so I really love being able to serve people just all over the world. Really. I just, I love, you know, last week I did a live webinar and somebody sent me a message on Facebook from Italy and she oh, was, wow. Uh, wow. yeah, she has her own child with autism, but she's also a teacher. And she said, thank you so much for this information. It's so helpful. We did some of these activities at home and we had fun together. And I was like, oh, Okay, (laughs) that that was amazing. That's why I'm doing this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I think, Rose,
1: what also makes you unique is you've been in the public school setting, correct?
2: Yes. Mm-hmm. For yes. For 20 years. So. Yeah. For 20 years. Incredible. <laughs>
1: and you're going to be transitioning out. Yes. So. I just
2: made that decision. That was that oh was a big
1: one. That was a yeah. big key.
2: But all my coworkers and my boss and, you know, everybody is like, you know, I'm calling it my retirement. Uh, even yeah. with my besties, I'm having a, you know, retirement, like a very good, good yes. dinner party. Do it. Yeah, should. Right? School's out forever. That's what, yeah, you know, there's some shirts online. I've been perusing. Yay! Yeah. So, but I just feel like now I can help so many people if I step away from that one-on-one work. And mm-hmm. so while that's difficult to do, I'm very excited for these next uh, steps for
0: me. Tell us about your decision to have both kind of like the dual certification of, of speech and ABA. What kind of made you yeah. go down that route? Yeah, absolutely. So my first year I worked in a public
2: school actually with no autistic kids because there was a lady in our district that did all of that.
1: Um, But in my
2: graduate program, I had worked with autistic learners and I had a really wonderful mentor and I just knew this was it. Like I knew this is what I wanted to do. So my second year of being a speech therapist, I took a position here at the Cleveland Clinic. Now it's called the learner school. It used to be called the center for autism. And that was the first time I ever learned about the science of applied behavior analysis. And. Mm -hmm. And what really was insightful for me is that there were students that were coming to the Cleveland Clinic who were 10, 12. We had a learner who was 18, was not my student, was my colleagues, but we we all shared a room back then. It was grassroots efforts back then. And this student had been in a public school, had been receiving speech therapy for all of those years. And he never developed a way to communicate with the world. And wow. my colleague and friend, Why? I know my colleague and friend taught him to use in the team, obviously, right? Right? you know, an augmentative communication device. Mm-hmm. And for the first time in 18 years, he was able to communicate. And while, years. you know, we would go through and look at his, you know, his old IEPs and it was just very sad. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, what were they doing with all that? Because I'm assuming
1: he had speech and language services. Yeah.
2: I don't think he was really into participating. And so they just couldn't reach him. And it was really sad. He had very unsafe, aggressive behavior. And rightfully so. I mean, he just was orienting to his environment by using this unsafe behavior for 18 years, you know? So to see him be able to use the device, like it still gives me chills. I just, part of me was like, oh my gosh, this is applied behavior analysis. I remember back then, which is so poetic, you know, saying like, I want to go places and I want to talk to people about how this can help people who don't have a way to communicate with the world. And On the other hand, it made me just feel dead inside that somebody who had gone through (laughs) to get their master's degree and become a speech therapist wasn't able to help this student. It made Mm. me just feel really upset. And so, you know, I work with a ton of speech therapists, and that's really who is my main client at ABA Speech. And, you know, working with autistic learners, especially those who are not having trouble engaging in therapy, and, you know, it can just make you feel really defeated as a therapist. Because that's how I felt when I started. Like, I don't know. I've never learned. Learn how to deal with a kid who, right. you know, right. has self-injurious behavior. Right. Or yeah. you, know, you pick up,
1: you pick yourself. up tips so. and tricks, right? Like throughout the years, like if you had never done your BCBA certificate, like you figure some things out. But I think what makes you unique is, you know, and we. All the people, all the IEPT members, they cross over. So that's something that I'm in, and I always try to tell parents is that you know, OT shouldn't just be in a corner, speech shouldn't just be in a corner. Like right. there should be collaboration, right. and they should all be talking about different ways to reach the child because they all intersect. But what's fascinating with you is being able to implement so many different things. You know, speech is one thing, but language as well is super important, and. Being behavior can be a form of communication. How do we, you know, exhibit a way to appropriately express ourselves? Like that blows my mind. And you
0: would think, you would think that when behavior becomes a form of communication, that should fall under the realm of speech and language. But so often we have kids where I, you know, I'd be at an IEP meeting and I have a speech therapist say, I mean, yeah, we've been bringing him to sessions, but he's had to return So we haven't gotten to work on any of these goals because they had behaviors. And it's like, why is this happening? Like Mm. you should be trained to handle Mm. this. Like the kids should be able to access your services. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I know.
0: And and that's (laughs) that's the hard part. And it's the same with like general education. Teachers aren't taught, you know, strategies, how to implement Mm -hmm. accommodations or modifications. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to have inclusion specialists to modify curriculum because gen ed teachers are not taught how to modify curriculum. And You know, that is the sad part. And I think where the disconnect comes with IEP teams a lot is that there's not enough of that crossover. We put everyone in their own boxes and say, well, you work on your goals and you work on your goals, but they are all so intertwined. (laughs) Behavior communication impacts Mm -hmm. every aspect of life, Mm -hmm. let alone, you know, learning. So you've really been working to incorporate play as well into your work.
2: Yeah, leisure? absolutely. Yeah. Play and leisure are so very important. I love what I do. So I've been able to, in my private practice, I see just a handful of clients. Actually today, Friday is mm-hmm. my, my client day. I'm right just here in my hometown because that's all I have <laughs> time for. So I see uh, little kids. And then in my school-based position, I, for the past you know 15 years, have worked with students who are older. So middle school, high school. So okay. I have really been able to see how very important play and leisure skills are just across the life span. And so I really Mm -hmm. love
1: incorporating that into my therapy sessions. Yes. So can you kind of try to give a working definition of what play skills look like and what leisure skills look like? Because I'm sure people are thinking, okay, play, like kids play with each other, like, you know what I'm saying? But in the context of like this world. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, I think oftentimes as a school-based therapist, especially, and I'm sure you see this, it's like, okay, we need to see all these students. Okay. These students have social skills goals. Mm -hmm. You know, what is going to be functional for them? How do Mm -hmm. I get my students to do cooperative activities together that they enjoy. I mean, that can be really hard for autistic students. And so that's kind of where it came from is that I was seeing students in groups and, you know, I wanted them to have fun together, you know, Mm -hmm. and to do something enjoyable. Um, and sometimes that can be really hard for students. And so that's kind of where this idea of, modifying play and leisure skills, because oftentimes I am working with students who have high support needs. And Mm. so they may not be able to, if it's a younger student, they may not be able to play Simon Says like everybody does, you know, like I made a TikTok the other day and this mom wrote, you know, gosh, I really love this idea for modified Simon Says because they play that in my kids classroom all the time, but he can't play it the way that it's supposed to be played. You know, he can't pick up when is it not Simon. And the way that we modify Simon Says is it's Mm -hmm. always Simon says, you know, Mm, so, mm. so that's kind of how I infuse that. And then when I'm working with older students, you know, right now, what we're finishing up is like a unit on yoga. So we put on like meditation music and we are in a public school. So we just do standing poses Mm -hmm. and I work in a really, you know, affluent, uh, really amazing supported district. And so I know that their Mm. local community center has classes for special needs students. Mm -hmm. And so I know that these things are going to generalize outside of the therapy room, which is really what's most important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's that vocational aspect, right? With the IEP, if there's three pillars of the IEP. It's the academics, of course, and then the social, emotional, and then the vocational. And again, there's crossover between all three of those. They don't just exist on their own. Mm -hmm. And I think that being able, especially with the older students to prepare them, And we just had a a little podcast vignette about transitions, and especially that transition from high school beyond, and mm-hmm. to be able to focus in, you know, and and what's going on with the community-based instruction, and how those are going out and ordering off the menu at Taco Bell, or you know, yes. getting on the bus, like it all kind yes. of plays into itself. And I love that even the modified Simon says like. Duh. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, play
0: should come in, play and Mm -hmm. leaders should come into all of Mm -hmm. our lives as Mm -hmm. we grow up, you know? I mean, even we talk a lot nowadays about self-care and Mm -hmm. how do we, you know, combat, especially in this time of COVID. And I think too much self-care is considered things like, oh, for women, like go get your hair done or your nails done, but <laughs> yeah. it doesn't have to be. I think, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I don't care about those things. Like, so <laughs> for me, it has to be more like similar to like play and leisure. Like we, I think get so roped up and I, I think dads sometimes become the like the fun parent. sometimes that's mm-hmm. the default, right? So mm-hmm. they have fun playing yeah, with yeah. their kids, they're wrestling right. or doing whatnot. And totally. I think- We don't think enough about how adults need to play and have leisure too. It's not Mm -hmm. just about, you know, how do we relieve stress, but also play is important. So can you talk to us about how important is it to have teach kids these skills to use it throughout their lifetime?
2: Well, that's really where the idea came from is being able to generalize Mm -hmm. these things across the day. Like I Mm -hmm. had a student that I was seeing actually for an outpatient as an outpatient, and we were working on modified connect four. So the way you modify that is you just, you know, you get the red, I get the yellow, and we're just taking turns putting the pieces in. And that's kind of how we play that. And so I was talking to the mom because it was outpatient. So I was able to talk to the mom in person, which was great. Mm -hmm. And I was telling them how How well the student was doing with this game. And it was super fun. And this family celebrates Christmas. So after the Christmas holiday, um, she came back and said, you know, I bought Connect 4 for so-and-so. And and he played with his sister. And it was just really, really nice. Because what I have found too, just in my time in the field and having friends, you know, and colleagues who have autistic children is that, especially as a child gets older, sometimes it can be harder to navigate what our fun and enjoyable, like shared activities with family members. So Mm. I always try to think of things that are very naturalistic, like Connect Four is very inexpensive. I think it's $10. Mm -hmm. I bought it for my kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uno is another one. We Mm -hmm. just take out all of the fancy cards and we, you know, match by color and set, you know, one out on the
1: table. and Like repurpose it, like so that it's at a level that the child can... Play. Play. <laughs> it yes. doesn't have to be so rigid with like the and you exactly. know, yeah, yes, yeah.
2: exactly. And so you know, I love being able to do that. Where I have this group that I run for my middle school students, and we just kind of did Ono last month. And so you know, and I have assistance. You know, it's it's a well-staffed you know classroom, but when we're there and their kids are playing Uno, we watch a video model. I have it on my YouTube channel called ABA speech. And then the kids play and it's like Mm -hmm. the adults really don't have to do anything. And these are colleagues I've had for a long time. I'm like, isn't this cool? Like we don't even Mm -hmm. need to be here. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. this is peer to peer interaction. right? And that's just really important. Like you said, with vocational and leisure, Mm -hmm. I always kind of analyze what comprises my day. It's like work, family, leisure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I always try to think about my therapy the same way. It's like, why would I teach my students something in therapy that's not going to benefit them across their entire lifespan? You know, when you get to older kids.
1: I think that parents just get like hung up on the academics, right? And just like, they have to know how to do this to get out. And it's like, there's so much more, especially if your kiddo is, on the certificate track, of course, academics are important, but right. all these other skills kind of get like tossed to the wayside, you know, nice. and I think, like you said, this is for the lifespan, you know, play right. and leisure is just like, you know, it's kind of going back to something that Amanda had said I don't remember if it was conversation one or conversation two that we're (laughs) recording, but it's one of those things where we have, and it totally just like went out of, they're like, you need to know how to do cursive, right? Oh, you need to know Mm -hmm. how to do this calculation. And it's like, I have a calculator in my pocket at all times in my cell phone, right? right? So it's like recognizing that. And that's why we wanted to have you on because I don't think we have even talked enough about play and leisure and what that mm-hmm. looks like, because school just seems to yeah. be, you know, we want it to be, we've talked a lot about mental health and yeah. that social emotional component in schools. And I think now is the time for play and leisure to really take center stage as well. Yeah, and
0: I think we've talked about play in the sense of it can help as like play therapy, right? Kids who are nonverbal, it can Mm. help with that therapy side, the social emotional side, or it helps with social engagement. But a lot of those are the in the now, right? We're Mm -hmm. working on things in the now. I don't think enough is thought about play as being a skill Mm -hmm. that does Mm -hmm. help as an adult. Because I think, we inherently think play is for kids. It's not an adult <laughs> skill that you need to know, but it is. It right. definitely is. Right. I mean, my family, we grew up having game nights all the time and we still mm-hmm. do. Board mm-hmm. games and, and stuff like that has always been a big part of my family, the adults and the kids. And I still enjoy playing games. Like sometimes we forget. And I think I now as a mom don't probably play enough like board games as I used to. And then like oh well, have friends over and we'll play a game and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, Forget how much like fun this is, right? I think we, we forget that unless we're playing with kids. And in, even the, the aspect of playing with adults versus playing with kids, I think that's very different too. And, and a different therapeutic part, right? Mm. Playing with the kids is one thing, having a mm-hmm. family like play, but also playing as adults is something that we need. So mm-hmm. it's definitely a skill that should be used more. So, you know, we, in the school setting, kids don't, like, obviously they have recess and that sort of thing. But how can we incorporate more tools for teachers or, you know, even therapists in the school setting, besides just okay, we're gonna help engage during recess? Are there other ways that we can kind of support this?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think what it is like analyzing your students, you know, oftentimes, especially as speech therapists, we are tasked to work on social skills, which, you know, can be so such a heated topic now. You know, I I think what's important is I just want my kids to be able to be in a group. And to have that kind of social reciprocity where they can engage in these things with others and then hopefully pick up skills that they love and enjoy. You know, I have some students who I see in the home environment and the one kid is in preschool and his his sister is in fourth grade. I knew she was going to be home last week. So we just you know, the parents texted me and said, Hey, so-and-so is going to be home. So we just did like all the play that we've ever done. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's just like seeing what do your kids love and enjoy and how can you modify that so that mm-hmm. all learners can participate. So, you know, at ABA speech on our YouTube, we have uh, modified Uno, modified Scrabble. My company creates a product called Double Up which is a life skills, vocabulary, and social skills game, which is for four people. And so I created that for students who were older, who Mm -hmm. have the skill of matching, Mm -hmm. but it's hard for them to do many other tasks. And so I wanted Mm -hmm. them to have something with real-life pictures that were age-respectful. And, you know, you talked about vocation and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think we just have to be detectives and see, you know, what our Mm -hmm. students love and enjoy and how can we facilitate that type of engagement.
0: I love that. There's not one form of what is play. Play can take on so many forms. I think that's helpful to know as we look at how do we develop these skills for sure. And
1: Rose, as we kind of wrap up, we love to end on a high note. Do you have, I know you've shared a couple of stories already, but is there (laughs) another feel good story that you'd like to end the podcast with about either one of your clients in the school, outside of school that you you could share with us?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I had a student who I was, it was a group of boys I was seeing a couple years ago in a non-public program Mm -hmm. and we were doing modified Simon Says. So it's always Simon Says. Mm -hmm. And the one student was kind of hesitant at first to play. And then I have this thing where we'll do that same game for like maybe four weeks in a row so that the kids get to know it, they feel comfortable. And I'd say the second week, this student who really doesn't spontaneously communicate a whole lot said, you know, I want to be the leader. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so so this student was the leader. And so they were telling the other kids, you know, the different motions to do. And that was really not characteristic of that student. He really uh, wow. doesn't have a lot, a lot of spontaneous language and things like that. So I was so excited about that and, you know, told the parent, classroom teacher, mm-hmm. all the staff were there. This is the kids were one-on-one because of behavioral concerns mm-hmm. and things. So it was just really a neat moment to see somebody who was kind of hesitant to learn this at first, then wants to be the leader. So that was really kind of a bright spot for me.
1: It's just like when you see the change as quickly as you did, it's always heartwarming. And thank you for sharing that. So Rose, where can people find you? I know you've mentioned the podcast and your website, but do you want to say your website for everyone? We'll put it in the show notes.
2: Sure. Absolutely. Come and visit me at abaspeech.org. We put all of our podcasts, autism outreach right there on the website for you. And we have courses and blog posts and I do lots of trainings as well. So make sure to reach out if I can be
1: of help. Excellent. Thank you so much, Rose. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as we did. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.